All right, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 9. We're going to continue our study and looking into the wonderful words of David in this book, and in this chapter in particular. Psalm 9. Last week I laid some uh, foundation concerning the significance and the desperate need for us to know more about the Lord's righteous judgments. And we saw how justice is central, perfectly central to God's righteousness. His justice, he's all just. Disobedience to God always has an extremely high price tag. I mean, it cost Adam and Eve everything. Everything. Their relationship with God, the beauty of living in the Garden of Eden, and having all of their needs being met. That's heaven. They experienced heaven on earth, the Garden of Eden, paradise. But the Bible states that the wages of sin is not just a disciplinary action. It's death. Death is the payback for sin. And all disobedience results in some form of death. And unfortunately, we have all tasted of that. Well, I also shared last week about how we need to shift our focus from the Lord's first coming to his soon second coming. And this is a hard transition for many of us, much of the church. Jesus came to save in his first coming, but he's coming to judge in his second coming. His first coming brought salvation to individuals, but his second coming will bring justice to all mankind. His first coming targeted one nation, Israel. But his second coming will target every nation, tribe, and tongue. His first coming, he came as Savior of the world. In his second coming, he's coming as Lord of the universe. Wow. God's old covenant people were not prepared for his first coming. And unfortunately, his new covenant people are not adequately prepared for his second coming, for his soon return. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd make us ready. I pray we'd be longing to see your face. I pray that we'd be longing to move and step out of this world into eternity. Lord, you want to have a, a greater revelation to those who are longing for your appearing. Lord, we made earth our home. We really have. We've dug in deep. But I pray, Lord, that there'd be a process of transplanting that our root structure would really go into heaven more than into the earth. Even though we are earthen vessels, we carry inside us heaven, eternity, eternal life. So Lord, I pray that 
as we look again at the judgments of God and this strategic subject in these days in which we're living, that there be great grace to come upon our hearing and that your word would come alive to us. So again, Lord, I pray that in the simple sounding of this shofar, the sound of heaven could be made more clear and distinct to each of us today. Psalms of David are really songs of David. You know what? I, I just felt this week God liked David's tunes. God liked his arrangement. His songs are scriptures for us today. And again, this is David. Let me remind you, Acts 13, 22. I have found David. The prophetic statement is in, in New Covenant. Acts 13, 22. I have found David, a man after my own heart who would do all my will. This is David. Okay, look at verses 7 and 8, and then verses 17 and 18. They're prophetic statements. Then I also want to look at verses 19 and 20, <coughs> excuse me, which are heartfelt prayers. So starting in verse 7. He has prepared his throne for judgment. <laughs> And he shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. Verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is ensnared in the work of his own hands. Verses 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell. Actually, the Hebrew word there is yashuvu, which means returned to hell. The wicked shall be returned to hell. And all the nations that forget God. For all the needy... shall not always be forgotten. And the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Then David's closing prayer in verses 19 and 20. Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. And put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Now Janet taught us two weeks ago. She taught from Psalm 25. And she mentioned the principle connected with governmental leadership and God's judgment. Now, I know that this is not common to our hearing in these days. It's not taught that frequently. So I want to expound on that this morning. First, let me say, James 3 tells us that those in spiritual leadership will receive a stricter 
judgment. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 say a lot more on this. They give a lot of details and specifics. But all those, all those who lead are judged by a higher standard than those who follow. That's across the board. And leaders, especially in God's kingdom, are not judged so much by what they accomplish as by the life that they live. And what concerns God is who they are before what they do. He's concerned about who they are before what they do. And this standard applies to the condition of the heart and the spirit of a leader, not so much the leader's achievements. I want us to turn to 2 Samuel 24 because Janet referred to this verse and this principle. 2 Samuel 24 <clears throat> starts out in verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go and number Israel and Judah. So now we see God, what strikes me is the word again. Again, the Lord was angry with his people. And he used the action of King David to release judgment upon the entire nation. Now this week, as I sat before the Lord and looking at this message, I couldn't help but compare Israel's situation then with our situation now. And I thought to myself, is God pleased or angered by what is happening in America today? Look at verses 2 through 4. Now we have David's chief general, Joab, or Joab, strongly advising him not to do this. Don't do this thing. Joab sensed that something bad would happen as a result. But Joab was a great, obedient commander-in-chief. So in obedience to the king, Joab and his captains went throughout the land and they numbered all the qualified men. Now notice what happened immediately after David got the result. Look at verse 10. And David's heart deeply troubled him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Have you ever made a, a huge mistake and suddenly you realize that your action would end up having a horrific consequence? We have all been there. This was David's condition. What have I done? What have I done? 
My advisor told me not to do this. And I did it anyway. He felt the conviction of God so strongly. I mean, I read that so mildly. I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Amen. This, I'll bet David cried this out with all his heart. And then whispered it so that it would go in deeper. What have I done? That conviction of wrongdoing so deeply penetrated his heart and followed the conviction with confession and repentance. But you know, unfortunately, that was not enough. It was not enough. David's action would have national repercussions. So God sent a prophet by the name of Gad to confront David. Look at verses 13, 11 through 13. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, or God. David's seer, he was a prophetic voice to David. And Gad came saying, "Go." the word of the Lord came to Gad, and he said, go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should, take, I should take back to him who sent me. What a terrifying responsibility for this king. And what a sense of horrific guilt he must have felt. Look at verse 14. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. David came to a similar place that Isaiah came to in Isaiah 6 when he saw the Lord. Isaiah says in Hebrew, He's being undone. He's being unraveled. He's coming apart at the seams with conviction. Isaiah saw the Lord. David saw his sin. I'm in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and do not let me fall into the hands of man. So even though King David was a godly leader at times, God judged the entire nation because of this bad choice. Wow. The Lord's hand of protection was lifted off the nation, and God allowed a death angel to come upon his people as a plague. And as a result, 70,000 innocent men perished as a result of David's action. You know, it's hard to understand the thoughts and the ways of God. I mean, we have a little sliver of insight and revelation. God has much higher expectations of his people than he does from non-believers. I'm so grateful that God reveals to us 
through the prophet Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, of where we really stand all throughout our sojourn on earth. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What high expectation God has upon us, even though we still are learning and finding out and pressing into knowing His way and His thoughts because they're far beyond ours. God expects more from us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God has a deposit in us Himself. And even without understanding, we are to trust in the goodness of God all the time. Amen. Amen. All the time, God is good. And God is good all the time. And with all the injustice that we see in the world today, we know that God is a God of justice and He'll make sure that everyone gets the fruit of their works. Jeremiah 32, 19 confirms this. Saying, You, O Lord, are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men. To give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Friends, I believe with all my heart that our great nation, the United States of America, is in grave danger. Some of the decisions, the mandates, the judgments that have been made by our national leaders are inconsistent with the Word of God. So, which ones will we pay for as a nation? We are in danger of God's judgment because of the decrees of our leaders. Never mind our own sin and the sin within the American people. And according to Scripture, we, the church, hold the key to our nation's future. We have God's Word and His promise. We have that. The world does not have that. The church does. God's Word and His promise are capsulated in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Turn there if you would. Most all of you have known this scripture and have memorized it, can quote it, hopefully not leaving out any of the portions of it because it's all significant. But here we have God's word and God's promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people. But I want you to notice that this promise and this word is Conditional. It's not an automatic because the promise starts with the word if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We need to learn from this scripture there are four. God gives us four conditions that must be obeyed for national forgiveness and healing. Number one, humbling ourselves with broken hearts over sin. Often with fasting and weeping and pleading with God for mercy. It's taking the lowest spot, petitioning the Lord of all the earth. Secondly, sincere prayer with expectation that God will hear and God will answer. Not prayers of doubt, prayers of faith. Third, pursuing God fervently and His favor. Seeking His face is seeking intimacy. God, I'm longing for a greater intimate walk with you. I want you to become more. Draw me with cords of kindness. Draw me to yourself. Seeking favor in, uh, seeking His face indicates favor and intimacy. Longing for the Lord. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And fourth, turning from evil and sin personally and corporately. And then look at the following two verses. And these next two verses, I want you to hear these for us here today. Not as Solomon prayed them 3,000 years ago, but let's take a direct application and embracing for this word for us today. God says, now. Don't you love that word? Now, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now, I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually wow what a promise i believe that god's eyes are drawn to every place where his people are obeying these instructions for the forgiveness of sin and the healing of their nation what a joyous kingdom responsibility we have. That God actually seeks those who plead with Him to have mercy on their nation. For the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. God is watching, He's looking, He's searching. Will He find us? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy had traveled so much with Paul. He learned the ways of Paul, not just the words. He saw his action. He saw his lifestyle. Paul now is committing to Timothy a tremendous entrusting. He's writing these two letters. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he wants to set the stage in the very beginnings of his communication to Timothy. So in the first verse of chapter 2 of the first letter to him, he says, first of all, I urge or exhort. Now let's stop right there. 
This word, I only found this out this week. This word for urge or exhort is the word parakleo. Where we get the word paraclete, which is Holy Spirit. One of the functions of Holy Spirit. It has the same root as the name Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, I urge you, I beseech you, I implore you, I entreat you. So he's expressing both priority and sense of urgency. First of all, then I parakaleo, I urge, I exhort, I implore you that supplications, prayers, and intercessions stop again. Look at this. The first three things that Paul tells Timothy to prioritize are all about prayer. Supplications, prayers, intercessions. They're not all the same thing. There's little tweak differences to all three, but we don't have time to go into those three significance of prayer this morning. But one, two, three, it's all in regards to prayer. And the giving of thanks be made for all men. We need to be thankful for all men. This is what he's saying. Now, for kings and all who are in authority. Stop again. Whether or not you or I agree with their policies, lifestyle, or laws. That's not a condition to the exhortation. We need to be doing this, supplications, prayers, intercessions, for all who are in authority. Why? So that we, that means all of us, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Friends, we need to take this apostolic instruction today. And we need to pray for President Joe Biden and his advisors. But we need to pray for them with pure hearts and right spirits, not with judgmental attitudes. I'll share this little story with you in the 1990s. Janet and I were living in Haifa, Israel, and I had the responsibility in our congregation of leading our weekly congregational prayer meeting, Monday nights. And at that time, God greatly challenged my heart with this exhortation from the Apostle Paul, pray for all those in authority. Now, it was easy to pray for those that I liked, that I agreed with, that I really wanted to pray for. But what about those I didn't like? What about those I didn't agree with? And God put his finger right there. The Palestinian leader was a man named Yasser Arafat. 
He was the number one enemy of the Jewish state of Israel. And God had challenged me to start to pray for him. Now honestly, my heart was really wrong toward Yasser Arafat. Personally, I'm fessing up. I was disgusted every time I saw him on TV. He was our enemy. What God needed to do a massive cleanup in me inwardly before I could pray effectively for him or anyone. When we have bitterness for someone in our hearts, it will affect our thought life. And those attitudes pollute and poison our prayer lives. God not only listens to our prayers, He looks at the condition of our hearts. He not only listens to our prayers, He's looking, not as man looks. Man looks at the outward or hears the outward. God looks at the heart. It's no wonder David cried out in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. David had a polluted heart. So did I. So did I. I had grieved God the Holy Spirit with my hard heart. But God. Don't you love that phrase? But God had grace toward me when I had the desire to change. That's where grace starts. I knew I needed a change. I knew I needed deliverance. My heart was so impure. It had bitterness, hatred. God needed to change me. So God began to really deal with my heart about Arafat. And he continued dealing with my heart about others in position of authority over the years. Listen, I lived overseas for five presidents that had served. And all of them I had times of disagreement with. And God had to work on my heart. And especially with those in authority everywhere to whom I disagreed. It's really hard to intercede with a pure heart when you don't agree with somebody. Nonetheless, we are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. God's able to do that in us. So prime timers, I want to just say, you're our family here in Waco. Don't you want to live a quiet and a peaceable life in these tumultuous times? I sure do. Chaos and fear are everywhere in the world today. People are terrified and they don't even know that they're operating the spirit of fear. So we've got to get right with God so that our prayers will be both effective and powerful. Amen to that. God wants our prayers effective and powerful. So here's my encouragement this morning. 
that we'd all embrace God's challenge and God's word to be obedient and follow the guidelines that God gave in 2 Chronicles 7 for the forgiveness of our own lives, for the forgiveness of a nation, and the healing of an entire country. It is possible, but God's only given the key to that door to those who are called by his name. But if we're ever going to see that happen, we must pray with a clean heart and a right spirit for our prayers to have that effect. That's why David cried out for it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's too easy to have a polluted heart and wrong spirit. Wrong attitudes, wrong mindsets. It's so easy today. We're made of the world. We're made of the dust of the earth. You know what that means? That the earth is attracted to us and us to it. That's why we need to be washed daily. We need to be cleansed daily. We need to take that exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy with all prayers, supplications, and intercessions. We need to be praying without ceasing. Some of us look at our prayer times as Well, I did pray for four minutes. Or I did give thanks for my food. God wants to have a breakthrough in us. He wants strict obedience to this guideline, not only to get out of this present darkness in the world, but to get out of the present darkness within our hearts. Our hearts are too easily polluted. So Jesus wants to send forth his light and his truth and let them lead us. Let them bring us to his holy hill in the place where he dwells, Psalm 43. I believe it's possible that we in this room can make a difference if we believe. Now this is what separates real believers from those who go to church. Real believers believe. And if we believe that this was a guideline that God gave for national healing, this is the primary scripture that the entire body of Messiah in Israel prays in times of duress. This is the scripture. It's, it's the go-to. I want it to be our go-to this morning. So you see at your table... There are little sheets of paper. Could you all take them? Is there enough? There's enough for everyone. Now here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework this week. Starting number one. Are you all listening? Number one. Do not leave that on the table. Number two. Remember what I just said. <laughs> Do not leave that on the table. This is a prayer guide for you throughout this next week. Every day, pull out that little piece of paper. Pray it throughout the whole week, not just on Sunday morning at the end of prime time. This needs to be a consistent prayer of our lives 
That we would humble ourselves and confess our need of God. That we would pray for a right spirit and plead with God for mercy upon a nation that is, loves its sin. On a nation that is strayed so far from God. And in many ways, a church that's done the same. Confess any personal sin that the Holy Spirit shows you. And the sins of the nation that the Lord should so lead you to pray. Pray against the rebellion and the abortion and the homicide and the rage and the bitterness and the hatred. The cup of our iniquity has grown full. Ask for forgiveness and cleansing of the evil being said and done within America. And listen, you've got to get over this. Any attitude you've had toward our president, they need to come to the cross. God wants to come out on the other side having fervent, effectual prayer beside what they say or who they are or what they do. They are in a position of authority. First of all, Paul said, they need prayer so that we can live peaceable. Do we want to live in chaos? No. So we need to be obedient and pray effectively. And if the church does not pray effectively for our imperfect leaders, who's going to pray for them? The Buddhists? No. We are the ones that God has a holy responsibility and an accountability for God to intercede with a pure heart for our leaders. And then pray for our law enforcement, for state leaders and local leaders. They're under great duress right now. I don't have to tell you what's happening to our neighbors in the north is just something so astounding to the residents of that great nation. We've got to intercede. We, this is the time to pray. Chaos is breaking out all over the earth. If my people are not doing what I've told them to do, then get ready. Chaos is our inheritance. But God wants to transform and He can change the tide of evil. He can. He can. So I want to encourage you to pray as the Spirit would lead. But this is what I want you to be praying around the tables right now. We've got about 12 minutes. Now I know that some of you are more gifted to talk than to pray. Uh, how do I know that? Well, I've observed in our times of prayer discussion around the tables. It's real easy to talk or to say something. Listen, this is not the time for talking to man. This is our time to talk to God. Because his ears are listening toward this house. And his eyes are upon us this morning. And he's waiting to answer the prayers of our hearts once they are made pure through confession, repentance, and cleansing, that our intercessions will make a difference this morning. Father, I want to thank you for the challenge that you just continually give to me in my heart. How polluted, how easy the dust of the world can get on me. Lord, I need that washing of the water of your word. I need that cleansing of communication and prayer with you. I need that upsurge of intimacy, of drawing close and longing to see your face. 
and welcome your favor. But Lord, it all starts with humility. Let us humble ourselves this morning. Let us confess our need of God on this February Sunday morning. Lord, we need mercy in America. We're headed toward judgment, big judgment. God, our neighbors to the north are already experiencing a, a life in a situation they couldn't even have imagined. God Almighty, would you wake us up and bring us to the place where you'd have us to occupy that place of prayer, that place of intercession, that place of intimacy, of humbling ourselves and praying and seeking your face and turning from our wicked ways. Then your promise starts to get put into operation. You will hear our sin. You will hear our prayers. You will forgive all of that iniquity and you will be the God who heals. Come and be with us now in a special time in our times of prayer around our tables. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take the next 10, 15 minutes of prayer around the tables for that list. And please, when one stops praying, let the next one start. Amen.